Uh, so it, it all works out, you know. So uh, when you keep that faith and you do what's right, as I always taught you, and you have integrity and, and good character, um, you know, no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to another exclusive episode of the Pot of Aggie Land. This is your host, yours truly, Chase Lane, number two in the field, number one in y'all's hearts. Coming up for you guys, I'm going to be breaking down the UMass game coming up this weekend, bright and early at 11 o'clock in the morning. And then also I will be having a very, very special conversation with my father later on in the show. So make sure you guys stick around to hear that. But as always, we're going to start with the weekly quote of the day. So the quote of the day for this today's episode is nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. So I'll say that again. Nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. And if you want to go and spell check me on that, get you a piece of paper and a pen, write that down to see if I'm lying. But I think for me and I think it contributes, you know, just from the lessons that I've learned from my parents is when you're dealt with adversity and, you know, I feel like the theme of the, the last couple, the last couple of episodes have just been adversity because, you know, we're having the season that we're having and we're not necessarily seeing the, the success that we would have liked to see, but you know, nothing is impossible. And if you go to bed every night with that mindset and with that, with that approach to life, you can accomplish so much more than that you ever sought out for. So, um, I know my father, just for instance, you know, he'll be coming on the show later, but I just know about his academic journey. He he didn't even like school growing up and, you know, he didn't even see himself being a, 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 a chancellor at a university or a president and things like that. So it just goes to show that the mind is such a powerful thing. And when you apply the mind to your day to day habits, it can it can create beautiful things. So um, I'll say it again. The quote of the day. Nothing is impossible. The word itself says impossible. So moving on, you know, we have UMass coming up this weekend. We are on a six-game losing skid, I'd like to say. So I think the emphasis for this game is to really just get back in the win column, simply put, um, get back into, you know, just having some confidence. And I feel like this game, if we come out to play and we and we respect our opponents in UMass, uh, I feel like it can be a, a tremendous, tremendous confidence boost going into the LSU game next week. And, um, yeah, and, you know, some guys who had media day at the beginning of the week, guys like Damani Richardson and Jalen Preston, um, they were asked, you know, just how their approach is now that we're not, you know, going to be going to a bowl game. And the the message has really just have been, you know, to send these seniors out on the right foot, send them out on the winning front, and, you know, just play the game we love. So, Practice this week, I feel like we've been able to maintain a good level of positivity, you know, just continuing to encourage each other. You know, coaches are coaches have been actively coaching their players and, you know, everyone still seems to be in tune to the to the, the task at hand and, you know, just playing football. So, yeah, I, and, I, and I've said it for a while now, you know, just how demoralizing it's been just having to come back on the show and, 
you know, break down the loss and ha- to have you guys hear the same things. I know it can get repetitive, but like I said, I really see this weekend as an opportunity, not only for us to get back into the win column, but for us to, you know, just regain some confidence in ourselves and we're, what we're able to, do, able to do as football players. So I know the offense um, this week, we, we really want to establish the run. We were not able to do that last week against Auburn. Um, I, I said it on the show last week, how just how strong their, their, um, their, their D line was. So, this week, the emphasis has been to, you know, just establish a run game, uh, stay ahead of the sticks, get into some second and second and shorts, third and shorts, because if you're, if you're good on first and second down, you can be even better on third down. And, you know, Coach Fisher, he has preached that since the beginning of time, since he's been at A&M and since I've been able to play for him. It's just the importance of staying ahead of the sticks. So um, I think the to start the game, we want to, you know, just establish a run, like I said, but then with with that, and once we established the run, we went to get into some play actions, you know, um, some some shots down the field. Their top coverages, they play a lot of cover one, cover two. Uh, you're going to get a lot of cover zero, especially on third down. They don't really send a lot of blitzes, but um, they play a lot of man. So that gives us a lot of a lot of opportunities to make plays down the field when our numbers are called. And uh, yeah, it should be it should be really fun. I know that the fans probably aren't going to be too fond of the uh, 11 a.m. kickoff, but as always, the Aggie faithful is going to come out and support us any way they can, like they've done throughout the whole season. And just on top of that, this is going to be my my first week playing in two weeks. And, you know, just I kind of talked about it early on in the show when I tore my Achilles last year. But when you are – see, I've never been really injured in my athletic career, um, thanks to God just for watching over me, but I never, I never really had to deal with any major injury in my playing career. So last year when I got injured, it really made me appreciate the game and, you know, just how quickly it can be taken away from you. So I think when you deal with injury, you develop a new type of respect for the game. And I feel like you approach it differently. So this week, uh, this year, excuse me, I got hurt in the Ole Miss game. That was on October 30th, and I've been out of play for the last two weeks. And, you know, I had a lower back injury, and, you know, never having a, a back injury is uh, – they are very, very, very lingering types of injuries and, you know, just dealing with the soreness and, and the pains and the aches and things of that nature. So um, it's been so fun, you know, just being at practice again with the guys and just feeling like one of the guys again. I, mean, I, I felt like a kid in the candy store when I got out at practice on Monday, you know, just being in those huddles and, you know, just – being in the room again, just being active. And, you know, um, I definitely feel like that my presence has rubbed off of my teammates. Guys seem to be like, I don't know, I'm trying to toot my own horn or, or anything like that. But, you know, I do play a, a prominent role in that, in that locker room, I, I would believe. And I think my, my teammates would co-sign on that. So, you know, just being able to just feel like I'm a part of the team again and, you know, just being practicing, going through that grind with them, it really means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, because, um, like I said, the game could be taken away, away like that and, I experienced that firsthand last year. So um, for me, man, this weekend is also just about getting in the win column because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, all I want to do is win. But uh, yeah, it's just, I, I think it will be a fun opportunity for me to just go out there and just play the game I love. And, you know, any chance I get to play the game I love, I'm going to um, respect it the way it needs to be respected. And I think that these guys on this team um, have respected the game just from the season we've been having, because like I said, a&M hasn't been out of bowl contention in I don't know how many years, but it's been a very long time. So this is a new new air for everybody that we're breathing. 
And um, I think guys are really just anxious to just go out on Saturday and just compete and, you know, just dominate. We we haven't really had, even in the wins that we've had this season, we haven't really put together a dominant performance, in my opinion. So uh, this week, I think it's about being dominant and, you know, just reminding people just how we play Texas A&M football. And, you know, just uh, even though we are three and seven, we have not been able to uh, put that many points on the board this season throughout the year. Um, that we still got it in, the, in us. And, um, yeah, we just want to have a good win going into LSU week. So I think that has been the focus this week. Um, don't really know a lot about what they do offensively in UMass, but um, I know they do have a pretty active quarterback, and he can he can use his legs. And, you know, they like to uh, have wide splits, you know, uh, get the balls in their playmakers fast. You know, they have, to have like, they like, like uh, screen plays and things of that nature. But, yeah, uh, all in all, man, we need a win, and I think everybody knows that we've needed we've needed a win for the longest. And um, I see Saturday as just a great opportunity for us to just get back into the win column, and you know, not just have that that sad and that uh, you know, that that locker room that's just quiet and things like that. Because um, if you play college football, the difference in locker rooms after a win or in or a loss or night and day. And um, I know we definitely want to be able to come out and say we won on Saturday and, and we want to play well. So that is the emphasis for this week. Um, really looking forward to just going out there and competing. But without further ado, when we come back from the break, I will be getting into a very special conversation with my father. So we'll be right back. Welcome back from the break, everybody. Uh, now I would like to introduce a very, very special guest to the pot of Aggieland, my pops, Austin Lane. Dad, thank you for coming on the show. What's up, big dog? All right, so let's let's get right into it. So uh, first question, Dad, just to begin our conversation, can you take us through your career journey from the start to where you are now being a chancellor at Southern Illinois University? You know, uh, my journey started, as you know, years ago, man. I'm getting old. I can't believe I just turned 51 and looking at you at, at 21 is, is just amazing to see. I've got a son that old. And, and uh, so, but my journey uh, obviously started way back when, and uh, you know, playing basketball and, and really trying to uh, uh, stay athletically competitive. And uh, when that didn't work out, uh, I thought, you know what, I need to, to hit the books and, uh, go to school and get serious, and, and obviously I did that. Uh, at Langston University, HBCU in Oklahoma, and, and I went to University of Oklahoma, and, and then uh, University of Alabama, Roll Tide. I know the, the Aggies may not want to hear that, but I got to slip that in there. And, uh, you know, I just tried to, to stay focused, and w when Lauren and, and you came along, I, I knew that uh, I needed to really focus and, and um, you know, get to work because you guys like to eat and, you know, you growing up and, and really like to, to have nice things. So, uh, but, but my journey is I always say, nobody gave me anything. Uh, I would outwork you. I would, I would always try and, and better myself. And I was always looking for the next opportunity. And, um, you know, I was able to, to just work really hard to get to where I am uh, today. And uh, I've had a, a really great journey. You know, I have no complaints and wouldn't be able to do any of that without uh, my mother. You know, mother and grandmother 
uh, were very instrumental in my life. And uh, my father was instrumental as well. And, you know, I had a lot of support, you know, folks who believed in me and, and really felt like, um, you know, I could do the things that I was dreaming about. So, uh, you know, I'm very appreciative of all the family members and folks who believed in me. Sure. And you kind of just led me into my next question. I, I wanted to touch base on early. Um, you were a pretty, very talented basketball player coming out of the state of New Jersey uh, back in the day. Um, although you were able to see success on the hardwood, higher education was the best path for you as we see today. Um, when did you come to that realization and why did you think that higher education would be the route for you to be the most successful at? You know, man, I'm glad you pointed out that I could hoop. I mean, I, I, I was a baller, man. I, you know, I don't want to brag, but, you know, when, when I was um, a junior and, and senior in high school, I averaged 24, 25 a game, had a couple of 40-point nights uh, at Hackensack High School in New Jersey, um, you know, had a lot of offers, uh, went to five-star. Some of the folks on here probably have no idea what five-star is, but if you get invited to five-star, I mean, that's, that's the ticket, you know. And so, um, you know, I had a, a very successful high school career and uh, played on the AAU circuit and did all that. But one thing I didn't do is I didn't focus on my grades. And uh, when I was balling, I, I was balling. I wasn't doing anything academically. And as a result of that, uh, my offers just went away because I didn't have what I needed to have academically. And so I went out to the middle of nowhere. I went out to Odessa Junior College out in West Texas. And at that time, that's where all the ballers went. I mean, you know, if you didn't have the grades, then you went out to junior colleges. And at that time in 89, you know, that's where the ball that's where the ball was being played. You know, I, I played with a lot of guys that had a lot of game. But when I was there, I realized that there were a lot of other people that was that were just as good as me. And so uh, I said, you know what, I need to hit the books. And it wasn't until I was at Langston University with Dr. Uh, Holloway, who was the president at the time, uh, he would always check on me and, and check on some other guys around campus. Um, but I watched what he did as a university president, and I had no idea you could work in higher education. So I started really being mentored by him and then others and realized that I could work in higher education. I never dreamed about being a chancellor or president. I mean, it just, I, I didn't know how to become that. So right. as the years went on, I realized as I progressed in my career that, you know, I watched people who were presidents and chancellors and I said, you know what, I can, I can do that. And um, that's what I did. So, you know, again, I always stress when I talk to my students, you know, you never know uh, your journey in life. You never know, uh, you know, where this will take you. Even you doing this, uh, this podcast, I know you've talked about doing this for years and now it's come to reality. It's come to, you know, thanks to your producers and others and folks who have helped you out. You know, you now have this opportunity to, to not only do what you're doing now, but to do so much more, which I know you're going to do. So it takes hard work and, and uh, dedication. And I know that you, you got that. And I hope you got some of that from, from watching me. When you came to the realization, you know, that, you know, people were just as talented as you, if not better, when you went out to Odessa College, was giving up the sport that you grew up playing and had grown so fond to, you know, just have a love for it. Was that a hard decision to give it up? You know what? It was it was really hard because 
I, I like everybody else, uh, thought I was going to go to the NBA and, and thought that, uh, you know, I was going to have much success in playing basketball for the rest of my life, not realizing that that, that just wasn't reality. And uh, I think my mom took it harder than anybody because she felt like I didn't know what I was going to do with myself if I wasn't playing basketball. But, you know, part of why I went to school and, and did the things that I did is because I wanted to make my mother proud, you know. And so every time I got a degree, I just remember seeing her smile and, and seeing her brag about the things that I was doing and, and uh, how happy she was. And so I thought, well, you know what, why don't I try to get another degree? Right. <laughs> you know, so I went and got my master's degree and saw how excited she was uh, at the University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooners. I, I know, I, again, I got more Aggies on here. It's probably not good for me to say that, but, you know, she was there at commencement and, and she was so proud of me. So I said, let me keep going. You know, so I really went to school for, for you know, for people who supported me because I wanted them to be proud of, of me and what I was doing. But not playing basketball, I just put my energy into education. And uh, I'm, I'm living proof of, you know, how education can, can really uh, elevate you uh, to the next level in, in anything that you're trying to, to achieve and focus on. So... You know, a little sad that I, I wasn't playing anymore, but, um, you know, I, I focused my efforts in, in other directions and, and it seemed to be working out now. Most definitely. And, uh, yeah, just going further more on just um, education, I want to talk about um, administrations at universities. At some schools, mm -hmm. there is sometimes a, a divide, you can say, between administration and athletics. And since you see it, on a first hand and you've seen it throughout your career, why do you think that we see a divide sometimes between the administration and, you know, athletic departments, you know, the AD and the president and things of that nature? Well, you know, I, I can speak from where I am now and, you know, our divide isn't as, as big as maybe some other universities, but you know, when you think about athletics and, and you think about uh, academics, sometimes the divide is, you know, faculty members, uh, tenured faculty members may, may really believe that, um, you know, the institution is going a little too far with focusing only on athletics and, and sometimes believe that athletics is, is not what's needed at the university because it's an academic institution. Um, but the other side will tell you, especially at places like Texas A&M, the athletic department generates millions of dollars that actually, in fact, uh, help the academic enterprise. You know, so if you think about a bowl game that A&M may be playing in and the amount of money that they're receiving from not only winning the bowl game, but the television rights and all those other uh, things that come along with revenue that's generated, uh, I know I'm sure your AD and others uh, are, are using some of those dollars to help uh, the institution on the academic side. So it's really important, uh, you know, that, that both sides actually come together and realize that they can work and, and coexist. Uh, most athletic departments in the country are operating in the red, unlike, unlike places like a and I'm sure they're not operating in the red, but most other universities' athletic departments operate in the red, uh, and the universities obviously supplement uh, some of that loss that's there. But if you go to some institutions, um, you know, that really 
uh, have those those 18, 17, 18, 19 sports uh, that are there, um, you know, you really have an, a, an opportunity to create some enrollment, some diversity uh, within those those athletes that are at those institutions. Uh, and then those students have just as much success as the students who are non-athletes. So if you look at your athletic GPA, I'm sure even at a and it's probably higher than your non-student athlete in some cases and in some areas. So, you know, they go hand in hand. College athletics has, has been uh, a part of academic institutions since the beginning of time. And, you know, I think those institutions that have found out ways to bridge that gap have been the most successful. Nice little perspective coming from a, from a university chancellor. So I appreciate you on that. Moving forward, just since we're on the topic of education and, you know, just how vital it, how vital it was to your success, um, since I was a child, for as long as I can remember, you have always stressed the importance of taking care of your business in the classroom. And even to this day, I, I graduated, I got my, I got my bachelor's degree, but now, now, okay, go get the master. So why was it so important for you as a father to ingrain the importance of education into our minds growing up? Man, I'm glad you said that. Um, you know, for me, I was so afraid that you would you would make the mistakes that I made. And and when I was in high school, I didn't focus on my grades, and I was really afraid of that. You know, and and that's why you and I had a lot of lot of discussions, didn't we? About hey, man, take care of your books, take care of your studying. I don't care about football. I don't care about basketball. I don't care about track. I don't care about baseball. All I care about is you getting a degree. So, man, when you crossed that, that stage, man, um, it was like a, a ton of bricks was just lifted off of my back because I said, man, he, he did it, you know, and, and you did that. You know, I, I was just there trying to encourage you. And, and again, I was just so fearful that you were going to, to not focus. You never gave me any reason that you, you wouldn't focus. I don't know why I was so stressed out and paranoid, but I wanted you to do uh, better than I did, and you have, and I'm so proud of you, man. Um, and it's hard when I when I call you sometimes. And say, man, you you in grad school? You know, I'm, I mean, I was in grad school. I was probably 23, 24. You you 21 and working on your master's degree. So, um, you know, that's that's what it's all about, man. It's not about. Uh, I love the athletic portion of what you do there. I'm so proud of what you you've done. Uh, but I'm, I'm more proud to see you again uh, walk across the stage with that degree from a flagship institution like Texas A&M. It doesn't get any better than that. I can say that being in higher education, you're at a great research university uh, and going to have a, a be a two-time uh, degree holder from an institution of that magnitude speaks volumes, man. There's a lot of people uh, of color and, and people that are are not of color, you know, folks who are not from underrepresented populations that don't get that opportunity. So, you know, I always say hats off to your academic advisors up there and, and uh, brothers like, like Jonathan and, and Joe and uh, Ross, your AD, uh, Jimbo, your head football coach, your, your wide receiver coaches, man. I mean, you, you're blessed to have those kind of opportunities and you took advantage of it. You know, sometimes we, we unfortunately have some folks who, you know, they don't take advantage of it when, when an opportunity is presented, but uh, you have, and I know you're going to continue to do that. Appreciate it. Now, 
switching gears into a little more serious topic. You've experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows throughout your career. If you don't mind, can you just speak on how difficult it was going through the trials and tribulations you faced while at Texas Southern University? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, Texas Southern University is, for those that don't know, is a historically uh, black college and university located in Houston, Texas. Uh, has a long story history in the state of Texas of educating students who are unable uh, to go to places like Texas A&M uh, or the University of Texas at Austin. Um, you know, people of color were not allowed to attend uh, those predominantly white or at that time all white institutions. And so uh, TSU is always sort of this beacon of light for students of color to get their degree. And, um, you know, so it has a long storied history. Uh, I, I went there, obviously I was a product of an HBCU at Langston University, and uh, I went there on the mission to try and make sure that, um, you know, I, I took the institution to new heights. And, and I'm, I'm really proud to say I think me and others who work with me were able to do that uh, in the almost four years that I was there. I uh, had, a, had a wonderful time. There's some great students uh, that are there. I have a nephew. Uh, that's there now who's doing incredible things. Uh, Sean is, is doing a great job there. And uh, I've, I, when I come back to Houston, I see a lot of the students that um, met me when they were walking across the stage getting their degrees. And uh, they still say, man, we sure appreciate all you've done for Texas Southern. So we were able to leave a pretty strong legacy uh, between my, myself, obviously, and, and Lauren, my wife, and, and you, Chase. You had a part you played in that as well. And, you know, so I, I had a, a tremendous time of being there. When I teach my higher education course uh, here, I teach uh, uh, higher education administration on the College of Education for uh, individuals who want to become presidents and chancellors. And part of what I teach them in higher education leadership is to understand it, it's not always, um, um, you know, always green and always beautiful sometimes being a chancellor because you know, you're going to have some trials and tribulations and you're going to need to know how to handle those trials and tribulations. And, you know, my time at Texas Southern is I had a terrible board of, of trustees. Uh, my board uh, were folks who actually wanted to run the university and uh, I just wouldn't allow it, you know. And, and so that happens, right? I, I've been in this work for 28 years now and, and I've seen this not only across the country but experienced it myself. And when you have a bad board of trustees, sometimes it, it gets very political. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes they come after you. But fortunately, uh, if you're smart, and Chase, I know you are with some of these uh, NIL deals, uh, you have contracts and you have lawyers. And sometimes you, you need to have those two things to make sure that if you experience those kind of difficulties, that you can you know, get out of those situations uh, on top. Uh, especially if you're going to need to, to fight a little bit. And that's exactly what I did. The only thing that made it tough during that period of time had nothing to do with what I just described for the last three minutes. The toughest part in dealing with that was how public it was, right? And so if you turn on the news channel, if you open the newspaper, that's all you were hearing about every day is how I had to fight with my board of trustees, you know, for something that they were trying to 
accused me of that ultimately never happened. I was paid out and no wrongdoing. And, you know, it was just political. And it happens, right? It happens. So uh, I was more uh, worried about the impact on you and and on, on Demi and, and on Lauren and, and Lance, you know, really just having to endure that. I think you were playing, that was your, your uh, 2020 uh, season. You had a great, great season, caught some touchdowns. Remember that? I mean, great season, but you still had to kind of listen in to what was going on with me. And, and uh, I really, I really hated that for you and, and the rest of the family. But, you know, it's guys playing. Right. And if it wasn't for that situation, I wouldn't be here today as a chancellor of Southern Illinois University, which is another great institution of higher education. And uh, so it, it all works out, you know. So uh, when you keep that faith and you do what's right, as I always taught you, and you have integrity and, and good character, um, you know, no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. And, and that's exactly what I believe, and that's what happened in this case. Uh, we were victorious in, in what we had to do to, to get through and get past that situation. And, and you kind of talked about just how the, the Board of Trustees that you had at Texas Southern, it was just a, 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 bad, a bad group of people who I believe, you know, put together or tried to assemble a, a witch hunt on you and, and what you did at, at Texas Southern. But in some scenarios, just for our listeners who aren't, you know, just aware about how sometimes a, a board of trustees can try to, you know, run a university. If I'm not mistaken, your board of trustees was appointed by Governor Abbott, correct? Mm-hmm. It was. And yeah, they were. So why do you think at some universities it comes to this? And especially we see this at HBCUs where the board is crooked and they can, you know, try to have um, a lot of saying what the university does. So can you just talk about that and just how HBCUs are more like prominent to being in these positions? That's a great question, Chase. Uh, and yes, I can talk a little bit about that. As I mentioned, higher education today is, is much more political uh, and has much more of a political involvement than it was even when I started at the University of Texas at Arlington. You know, like I said, I've been doing this for 20 some odd plus years. And when you get to positions that I'm in uh, that have what we call governor appointed uh, boards, so that means that governor, the governor of the state of Texas actually appoints uh, board members to the institution that then have a fiduciary responsibility not to run the university. That's why you have a president is to run the universities, but you have the influence politically from the governor's office and the folks he appointed that have their own agendas sometimes. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. One of the things that probably pushed it over the top, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but a couple of years back during the presidential debates, we actually hosted with the help of Michael Strahan and ABC and some others, we actually hosted the presidential the national democratic debate, right? So we had Biden there and, and Harris and, and you know, uh, everyone that you can think of who was running for president. University had, had uh, more publicity than we probably ever had in the history of Texas Southern because they turned our campus and gym into a national debate. If you Google that, you'll be able to see some of that ABC and, and how, how incredible it was. We also received several millions of dollars for hosting that. Well, you know, uh, we made a couple of folks who, even though we were right in the middle, 
as president and chancellor, you can't be really Republican or Democrat. You got to stay right in the middle because there's some, uh, some politics involved in that. But uh, we upset some folks down in Austin uh, by having that kind of forum right there on campus under the, the noses of uh, Republican appointees, you know, and they weren't real happy about that. I know the governor wasn't. And at that time, I think we even had uh, President Trump flying a, a plane over the campus uh, that was really protesting of what was happening there. So again, we, we stayed pretty much down the middle, but you have the politics sometimes that creep into those things. And when that happens, you know, people will come after you uh, politically and they'll come after you and try and, and uh, move you out of the institution. And, um, you know, that's, that's just, that's the reality of it. Again, higher education has become much more political, uh, especially if you're in states that maybe are, are a little different, have a different ideology than maybe you have. And so uh, that's what happens. I'm in a blue state now, so I can, I can do a lot of talking now. It doesn't mean I'm a Democrat or I'm not telling you what I am. But the governor in this state that I'm in is, is a Democrat. Uh, we've got a lot of support, much more than I ever had in, in Texas. Um, you know, and I'm not speaking ill of the governor there, but I think uh, you have you have political situations where there's an overreach, and uh, you have individuals that uh, have agendas. Um, and you know, this is the business that we're in. That's why I said earlier, you better have a good contract um, to make them pay out if you ever have to move on. So, and I actually didn't know, I, I guess I, I did know, but I never really put two and two together about just how, how serious and how just big it was for you guys to host the, the Democrat, Democratic debate. So if you, I'm going to ask you this, do you think that you and Texas Southern hosting that event, do you think that kind of sparked the fire under Governor Abbott to appoint that board because that board wasn't there when you did the debate. They weren't, they weren't. No. So do you, no, did I you do go, going into that? Did you think that, okay, this might be a problem or did you know that? And when we, you know, you were just like, you know what, like, forget it. We're going to do it anyway. Yeah. I didn't care. Uh, I saw the advantage it was going to give our university and it did. We had national international attention. Right. It was it was something we could have never paid for in terms of marketing or media. So we, we were all over the country, Texas Southern University. And so our enrollment went up when mm -hmm. I got there. Our enrollment was only seventy eight hundred students. Wow. When I left, when I was leaving, we were at almost eleven thousand students. Wow. That's because of the amount of applications that came in based on that exposure that we received. We were the second largest HBCU in the country. North Carolina A&T was the largest at that time. We were number two. I think the enrollment today is probably close to 8,000 students. So it's, it's gone down considerably. Um, but that exposure, you can't pay for that. And so for us, I did it for the student internships. Michael Strahan at ABC gave probably 20, 25 of our students in communication programs internships in New York City. Wow. Right. They, they were rubbing shoulders with the with the uh, anchors and the folks that do the ABC nightly news. Right. They were getting those internship experiences right on our campus. So, uh, like I said, it wasn't about Republican or Democrat for me. It was about uh, the close to two million dollars they were giving our institution in addition to all the other uh, research and, and the internship experiences 
for our students. And, and so I've always been student-centered. I could have cared less about what Austin or the governor thought about me hosting it. Uh, and, and that's another part about doing this job. You can't do the job I do and be nervous and scared, right? You're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. And so I, it never factored into me, oh, no, the governor or people in Austin are going to be upset. I could have cared less. Same thing with my board. Uh, I didn't care if, if they liked it or not. I was doing it for the institution in terms of what we wanted to do to move forward. And we did the right thing. Right. It, it'll work out. And if it meant that they, you know, were going to come after me after that, so be it. You know, I've never been afraid of that anyway. So I, I always knew I can move on and get something else at any given time. I'm not trying to sound cocky or anything, but, you know, I've been doing this a long time. So, uh, but I do, to answer your question, I do think that uh, after that occurred, uh, there was a concerted effort to change. I think I got five new board members within a month after mm. that uh, uh, debate. And wow. You can imagine when you, have, when you have nine board members and then you have five new ones that come in and others that roll off, then when you start counting the votes, um, you know, you can be on the other side of that where people really try and move you on. So, uh, you know, I, I will say publicly, I'm, I'm not bitter about it. It's I'm, I moved on. I've been here almost three years. So, I've been removed from Texas Southern. I love the institution. The faculty were wonderful. The students were wonderful. I just had a terrible board of trustees. I mean, every last one of them, all nine of them were just terrible. I can say this now. I'm on my son's podcast. But uh, you know, they, they were terrible. They were terrible. And um, I think if you go and do a little Googling and, and check out some of the things they were doing, you'd probably agree they were uh, pretty, pretty uh, uh, bad. And, and I appreciate your insight on that because I know that's a, you know, it can be a tough uh, thing to talk about because it is in your past, but it, it's just probably just one of the lowest moments you've been in in your life and just as a family that we had to go through. So uh, I really appreciate you, you know, just allowing our listeners to, you know, just hear that story and to just hear uh, the things that you had to go through. So um, one thing that I take or that I took from you answering that question is just about how in the job that you're in, you can't be scared. You can't be hesitant. You have to have that supreme confidence in yourself. So that actually leads me into my next question. Um, one of the things, one of the many things, excuse me, that I've learned from you is to always maintain supreme confidence in yourself. So where does that strong self-esteem stem from? You know, um, I think it, it comes from um, probably more so my, my mother. Um, you know, and, and my grandmother and, and my family, you know, just um, I've always uh, had what I call fortitude. Uh, I've always tried to believe uh, in my abilities and, and myself. Um, I also understood what I, what I didn't know and uh, tried to make sure that uh, I worked even harder uh, to know it, right, and to be knowledgeable about it. Uh, and that helped me build confidence in what I do. Not not a sense of cockiness or anything like that, but but really the confidence that I needed to be able to compete. The job I do, there are not many people of color uh, that are doing what I do for a living. And so, you know, some would say it'd be easy to be a little intimidated or or question your ability to be able to do it since you're the only one that looks like you and doing it. Um, but I've, I've always just trusted myself. Uh, I've always had that grit. 
Uh, and again, that fortitude and, uh, you know, I, I really try to, to work hard at my craft uh, and, and what I do. And I'm still learning. You know, I don't I don't know everything. You know, I'm still learning. I'm, I'm still experiencing different things. Um, uh, you know, I still have mentors. I still have folks that, that help me, uh, people that I follow. Um, but, you know, it also comes from from growing up sometimes and, and not always having the things that other people had. Uh, which which made me want to work even harder to have some of those things, right? So I always knew the decisions I made when I left high school were going to determine the rest of my life. Uh, I did know that. And I did know that, um, you know, in terms of how I worked and my work ethic was going to determine how you lived, right? It was going to determine how you, what you ate, you know, and what you drive or, or you know, how you carry yourself. So I, I knew that if I didn't get after it and do those kinds of things and have, have you and others as motivating factors that, um, you know, I would fall down on my job. And, and I just always wanted to strive to, to be that role model and, and somebody that you could look up to. And, and uh, you know, you have to carve your own path out, you know, and you're doing that now. But uh, I just only hope that I've been able to, to demonstrate what it means to so even when you have tough times, like Texas Southern, uh, to see how that can make you so much stronger, right? And you can be so much uh, more um, or happier coming out on the other side of that, um, where you can say, wow, I did it. You know, I did it. I did it with class, too. You didn't see me doing anything out of character or, or do anything to embarrass my family. As my mother and grandmother used to always say, don't embarrass me. You know, I didn't embarrass our family when we had to deal with some of those things. And, you know, I, I just remember people saying, hey, you handled that with a lot of class, you know, because I would have flipped out or something like that. So, uh, you, and you know how I am, you know, I, I don't do that. Plus I have to on some things, but, um, you know, I think it, it goes a long way and hopefully you can see uh, some of the things I've been able to go through and know that when you hit tough times, you can still, um, you know, tighten up. You can still make sure that you, you move forward. And you've been through some tough times. You know, you and I had some conversations when you were a freshman coming in the door at A&M, and mm -hmm. you were struggling. You know, you remember those days, man. You were writing on the mirrors, and you had scriptures all over the place. <laughs> I said, man, you, you okay, man? And um, you remember that? That was a low moment for you. And um and I'm so proud on how you, you had that same grit and that fortitude and, and you kept pressing forward. And uh, look what you're doing today, man. It's, it's paying off. And, you know, just talking more about you and I and our relationship, when you got remarried, I stood by your side as your best man. I think that's the first time I've ever said it publicly. But uh, just for all the listeners out there, I was my father's best man when he got remarried. I think that alone can illustrate for our listeners just how close you and I are and how strong our bond is. Can you talk about from your perspective, our relationship and why you believe that is why you believe why you believe that it has always been strong and is continuing to get stronger? Yeah, man, I, I, I don't want to start crying on this zoom, man, or whatever this is. I, I was, uh, uh, yeah. Um, You know, I, uh, we have a very strong relationship. And, um, 
I value that, you know. And um, I'm, yeah, I consider you not only my son, but like a best friend. <clears throat> I think about when you were born and uh, the bond uh, that we formed and, <clears throat> and shared. And we've always stuck together. And, you know, we've had some, some, tough, some tough times, right? And uh, we've always managed to have each other's back. And uh, man, if you looked up sort of the ideal father and uh, son relationship, I, I, I would, I'm convinced, you know, we got it. You know, we, we got it. And um, it's not judgmental. It's, uh, it's not fake. It's, it's about as real as it gets. And uh, that, that just happened, right, with, with the years that we've just stayed connected and uh, supported uh, one another. And um, a father can't ask for any more than that. You know, that's that's the best gift that you could ever have uh, is to have that type of relationship you have uh, with your uh, with your kids, but then with you know with your and with your son. You know, um, it's it's an incredible relationship. When I see that that Chase Austin Lane in there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it just uh, hits me, man, because it's like, yeah, that's, you know, that's my boy, you know, and, um, and that's, 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 that's my man, you know, sometimes I forget, so wait a minute, I'm still your father, man, I ain't just your, your homeboy, you know, I'm, you know, I got to get you right sometimes, too, when you, when you get out of line, but, um, you know, it's so, it's so refreshing to watch you grow as a, as a man, and hopefully what you and I have, you'll have the, the, it, hopefully the experience um, that you and I have with with your family, right? If you're fortunate and blessed enough to have a son, and that just continues on. So uh, I value our relationship, man. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful uh, that, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you're not embarrassed of me and you like, like hanging with me and, and still think I'm pretty, pretty cool and seek out the advice that I have, and um, you know, I'm always be here for you. Good or bad, happy, sad, I'm you know, I'm here, man, and uh, that ain't that ain't never gonna change. But uh, you know, love you uh, like you wouldn't believe, and I'm proud of you. So, a uh, very special relationship that we have, and um, I know that'll continue on until I'm gone. You know, so um, I appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you too, Pops. All love. So this throughout this interview, you have also I don't mean to get you emotional. I mean you might get emotional with this question, but throughout this interview, you've kind of just always talked about how special it was for your mom and you know, just you, the relationship that you and your mother had and, and your grandmother and, and my nana and you know, just wanted to make her proud when you graduated and got degrees. So why is your mom so important to your life and why did you associate her with so much of your success? Yeah. You know, um, I, I just watched my mother, um, 
you know, she, she, I watched her, her work ethic. I watched her, um, uh, I watched her struggle. You know, I, I unfortunately, my mother trying to, uh, when my parents were divorced, you know, they, they went their separate ways and me and my sisters uh, went one direction and, and my father was always there, but he was, you know, just in New Jersey, you know, pretty a long way away. And so, you know, at that time, my mother, uh, who didn't have the advantage of, of being able to, to go to college like I did, or at least be able to, to stay there and, and finish, she didn't have that advantage. And she had to raise me and my two sisters. And thank God we had my grandmother. And Maddie Powell, you know, my grandmother was was like the backbone. You know, if, if my grandmother didn't have a job or a check coming in, we would have been in bad shape. You know, and my mother worked as hard as she could, but she only made so much. Now, that changed over time. And I'm so proud of her. I watched my mother go from like a, a secretary all the way to an oil and gas revenue accountant without a degree in wow. the oil business in Oklahoma and in Texas. And that's incredible. And, and I watched that, you know, I said, wow, mom, you, you went from here to, to there. How did you do that? So she was my example day to day where I could, I could really see her work ethic and I can see how uh, she, you know, as, as a woman, I, I would go with her when we would try to buy cars and they would turn her down and say, Hey, you know, you don't have the credit or you don't have the income. It was me and her, you know, looking for a tote the note lot car, you know, and, and we we got lucky to finally buy one. Half the time it didn't work, you know, so we kind of we kind of had that daily struggle that I would see. So when I grew up, I never wanted my mother to have to worry about me. Right. Because she had enough to deal with. She had enough to deal with at work. She had enough to deal with at home. So I said, I'm going to be the son that my mother does not have to worry about, you know, she's not going to worry about me, uh, you know, trying to, to get a degree or anything like that. And so, you know, she was really my inspiration to your, to your point. She was the, the person I was able to see every day that uh, with hard work and determination to see it pay off. I said, well, that's a nice role model for me to have because uh, I want to make sure that, you know, I listen to her advice, but that most importantly, I make her proud. So I, I, I know a lot of people would say something was wrong with me here, but I didn't really, I mean, I didn't really like school. You know, like I said, I went to school really to, I know that sounds crazy because of what I do today, but I mean, those are people that know me know that I went to school really just to make my mom proud. You know, I, as I said, when I would see her uh, watch me walk across the stage smiling and crying, I was like, man, I'm, I made her happy. Let me try to get another degree. Maybe I can do it, you know? And so she was my inspiration to really just keep trying to do things that I knew I could do if I put my mind to it, but I still needed sort of her encouragement and, and her story and what she went through to kind of get me there. So very thankful uh, to my mother and all my family, you know, my mother, my grandmother, my father, everybody had a part that they played at some point in time in my life. Uh, and I want to thank all of them, uh, you know, in terms of what they did to help me get to where I am today. And, you know, um, and as you said, you too, you're included in that, um, you know, Demi, you know, uh, wife is included, Lauren and, you know, everybody uh, that really had a, a, 
you know, what I consider to be a, a, a vested interest in me and, and what I would do and my success. Uh, and they continue to be that way. Well, Dad, I just want to say I appreciate you taking the time to come onto the show. I think I do a good job of, you know, just giving people their flowers. And I like to, you know, just pay my respects to people who come on my show. So just for everybody to hear me, my dad is my role model. He's my best friend. Uh, just to have the relationship I have with my dad, I would kind of put it as the ideal relationship. If you would look up a good father son relationship in the dictionary, you probably see a picture of me and my dad. So, um, that I just appreciate you for everything. I know you mean you have been through it all literally. And, you know, just, for the, the lessons that you continue to ingrain in me. Uh, I know it will go on forever until I'm, until I'm going gray in my hair. So I just, just want to say that I appreciate you for being the father that you are and just, you know, just being the stand-up guy that you are and, you know, just being an inspiration, not only to myself, but to so many people just that all the lives that you've touched, you've been able to have a positive impact on. And I can say that about both of my parents, but since you're on the show, I just want to tell you this now, because, you know, tomorrow is never promised. So I like to, you know, just give flowers where flowers are due and you definitely deserve all the flowers in the world. So dad, I just want to say, I love you. And I appreciate you for, uh, and you know, and it's just, it kind of, and I appreciate my producer, you know, just for allowing me to have this platform and be able to have this type of conversation with my dad, because sometimes you, you have conversations and me and my father, we talk on a daily basis, but you don't really get to ask the questions that you, you know what, let me ask him this. So um, I, I've learned a lot from this, from this talk and, you know, this will be a conversation that will always be, uh, near and dear to my heart. So dad, if you have any last words to the, to the pot of Aggie land listeners and subscribers, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. You know, I, I want to thank, uh, you chase. I'm so proud of you, man. And, um, I continue to be amazed. I'm not surprised because I, I knew from a, from a, a little boy, I knew that you were going to do the things that you're doing and, and uh, you've gone over and above, man. I'm, I'm proud of you. And um, I'm just so glad that you are having the success that you want to have. Uh, on this podcast, you know, the pod of Aggieland, if you told me, you know, 21 years ago that my son would be playing at Texas A&M and doing a podcast and getting his degree, I, I would have probably believed you, but I, I, I'm really seeing it now as believing it. And uh, I just want to thank uh, all of the the folks in Aggie land uh, who support my son. Uh, I will tell you that, um, you know, I, I didn't really want him to go to Texas A&M. <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't know if I should say that, Chase, but, you know, because I, I was always either OU or something else, or Alabama. So, you know, when he decided A&M, uh, you know, he, he drunk the Kool-Aid, man. And, and I do know one thing. He loves, he loves the Aggies and he loves Texas A&M. And he loves what it stands for. And so it's so fitting to have this pot of Aggie land. And I want to thank you, your listeners, your viewers, folks that, that do tune in and support you. I know that that means a lot to you. And uh, Alex, thank you as well for what you guys are doing at, at uh, Perme. And so, you know, again, I just uh, I love you, man. Uh, you know, I, I look forward to seeing you in a couple of days. And, uh, you know, keep doing your thing. Man. I'm very proud of you, son. Sir, thank you, everybody. We are out. Peace.